0: Jack Jordan-Mainer, and we have plenty to discuss in today's podcast. Who said September was a boring month for Formula E? Joining me today is Tobias Bloom from L D, and we also have a special guest in the form of Stuart Garlic from eMotion Formula E. Hello, boys.
1: Hola. Hello. How are
0: uh, you? How is everyone?
1: Very good, thank you. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a bright, sunny Saturday afternoon. Um, well, I'm lying, it's cloudy, but I'm ready to go.
0: Perfect. And thank you so much for coming on. Obviously, Stuart's first time on the podcast and he obviously he's got a great podcast in uh, the motion, E-Motion Motion formulary podcast. So um, thank you for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, the podcast, if you want to search for it, is uh, known as E-Talking uh, Formula E and Electric Vehicles. It's on Apple, Spotify and all other podcast vendors.
0: Perfect. Tobias, uh, regular on this podcast. Thank you so much for coming back on. But I suppose you're you're you know you've got your <laughs> you've got your seat reservation now, I think. I
2: think so too, yeah. I think you're not letting me off again.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Always on that phone. Right. Um I think there's so much to talk about. So much has happened since our last podcast in 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 the week that when we did one. So I think what I'm gonna I'm just gonna go straight into it and we'll talk about Mercedes. Because Mercedes, they announced it was probably the worst kept secret going, or to be fair, I don't know how many times I say the worst kept secret in because I suppose there's, there's, there's tons, but we'll start with Mercedes because that sort of came first. So we had Stoffel van Dorn, which everyone was expecting, but then we've got the current formula two points leader in Nick de Vries, also joining formulary e next season. Stuart, what do you think of Nick de Vries coming into the sport?
1: Well, when I heard that Mercedes were going Dutch, I honestly thought that just meant that they were short of money and were expecting journalists to share the restaurant bill at the launch. <laughs> Um, it was uh, nice that uh, they gave the seat to Nick DeVries. Um, I feel sorry for Gary Puffett because he, he didn't have the best first season, but there were um, glimpses of promise. There were glimpses of his DTM form, particularly in places like Berlin. And... Um, I I felt that another season uh, would have really cemented that uh, promise. Um, He's also got lots of experience and is great at giving feedback, according to the team. Uh, But from what I've heard, they've kept him on in a kind of reserve stroke ambassadorial role. So that's good for him, obviously. Uh, Nick DeVries, though, uh, rapid driver. Uh, One of my favourites from the junior formulae, I really like watching him in formula two um i believe he's been going great guns in the WEC as well and um i'm looking forward to um seeing another young dutch driver um upstaging the older drivers in another form of motorsports um so yeah great signing for mercedes as far as i'm concerned
0: i i think actually i was discussing this it was actually a few seasons ago i was talking to this to a couple of journalists and to drivers and sense was like you know, Formula 2, which obviously Nick De Vries has currently been in, has been in for a while. And obviously he's leading the standings, as I said, um, at this current point of just going into Sochi and um, Yas Marina. So I, w- I always thought, could one day, if that step for Formula 1, because it's so hard to break into Formula 1, I said, would, you know, the young drivers who are in Formula 2 think that Formula E could be actual serious option? And maybe with the manufacturers, to us that are coming in, maybe those top-line Formula 2 drivers, if they can't get into Formula 1, might... They normally go into the WEC series, but but probably you could do both now. But, you know, do you think, like, they're taking Formula E more seriously now as a championship that, you know, they actually could build a career in?
2: Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm not sure if they plan on building a career or having... I mean, having FE in your CV always looks good. And if you perform well in FE, it looks even better. But I think that Nick really thought FE is the next best thing for him to do. He's successful in, in Formula Two, um, but can't really seem to find a way into F1 um, for the lack of sponsorship. I don't know for the lack of of luck maybe as well, um, because in F1 most seats are already reserved for other drivers. Um, and he felt if he wanted to develop himself as a driver, um, FIA is the next best thing he could do, or the yeah the 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 best choice for him and for his career. Because, bear in mind, he's, how old is he? 22? 23?
0: Around that, yeah. 100%. He's about my age.
2: Stoffel's 27, so a really young lineup, um, And both kind of feel that F.E. is, uh, after F1, the next best series to be in. Um, which is very interesting, and grateful for the series, obviously. Um, yeah, really interesting. And I just to add to, to Stuart's point, I think, Mercedes does have one of the strongest lineups in FE now. Obviously, Nick de Vries is a rookie and will have to learn, um, but he has experience in, the, in, in, F, in Formula E cars. He's been part of the development program for Mercedes, and teams usually, I don't know how, how many kilometers they collect in testing, but it should be around the distance of one or even two seasons that they gather in, yeah, in pre-season no. testing. Um, So he has experience. He obviously was with with Audi uh, in these last few years and has been part of the rookie test in in Morocco in 2018 with Audi and 2019 with uh, Envision Virgin Racing. Um, Yeah, so he has experience, but we'll have to learn the racing in FE, if that makes any sense, the one-day format in FE. That's always something new drivers and rookies will have to adapt to. but with Stoffel being his teammate, I don't think there's a better teammate to have for your first year than... Oh, I mean, of course there are better teammates to have, those that that have been around for the last four and five years. Um, but Stoffel is a good teammate to look up to. And yeah, I think Stoffel and Nick will do very good this year.
0: I think you make a good point in terms of, you know, we always think about you know, drivers that come in in this rookie year and it takes time. And maybe that's why, you know, drivers like Gary Paffett, as you said, like he did do an okay job, but he didn't set the world alight. He wasn't like a Felix Rosenquist who came in, set the world alight. Mitch Evans, who jumped into the sport and was quick and outpaced the season one champion in, in Nelson Piquet Jr. We had Maxi Gunther who grew into the series in a stop start year last year for, for Dragon because he was taken out for a few races. So I think it, to sh- i think for nick DeFries to show that obviously it's very likely i'm not going to like try and tempt fate but it's very likely he'll win the formula two championship um but to like real show that he is a driver that's got that innate speed and can just adapt his racing skill to anything if he can perform well in formula Three next season i think a lot of people can say nick DeFries is a quite all-rounded quite complete driver
1: well, yes. Um, and um, g- certainly Gary Puffett, um, as I say, did a satisfactory job last season. Um, I feel the reason he didn't do better than that is uh, because p- people assume that DTM and Formula E are, you know, bedfellows in terms of how the cars handle and how, how the cars race. And superficially that may be true but um there's there's a lot um, the cars are a lot closer to each other in Formula E the circuits are shorter and the cars are more difficult to drive I believe than DTM cars and I think that for an older driver who's had a lot of experience of um um of F1 cars um as Gary has and a lot of experience of um of well can't call them touring cars I guess um si- silhouette cars with roofs uh, as DTM hmm. cars are that um uh it's it's just difficult to transition to Formula E at that stage of your career uh, now Nick DeVries is coming in at the right time of his career and as as uh as as uh, Toby said he is um focused on doing well in Formula E first and foremost um Now, of course, Gary would say that he was the same. He would say that he actually uh, binned off all forms of motorsport to focus on Formula E last season. But uh, I I think it's easier to do it when you're in your early 20s. Um, And Nick as well is... um, one of a few drivers who've actually taken that approach to their career. Uh, Maxi Gunter being the other example. He uh, refused apparently F1 simulator and test driver invitations to focus on doing well in Formula E. So maybe this is the future.
0: It's interesting. Um, how do we think Mercedes will do then? Because obviously that's a pretty, as we said, Tobias. You said it's a pretty strong lineup. Stoffel Van Dorn, Nick De Vries, these are drivers that, well, I suppose Stoffel Van Dorn was really good when he was in GP2, Formula 2 equivalent. And Nick De Vries obviously come in. so two F2 champions, effectively, in that car. You know, and I've seen, you've probably seen so many stories already, will Mercedes dominate Formula E like they dominate Formula 1? But in reality, it's a lot harder to just come in for a new team and dominate the sport.
1: Yes, um, and they they do have an all new powertrain. Uh, last season, as HWA, they were using the Venturi powertrain, which um, was useful only in terms of giving them um, a benchmark in terms of what a, what a generic Formula E powertrain can do. Um, they of course tested minimally, as they're allowed to their um, own powertrain, as um, as have Porsche. So. Um, Even though they've had that operational experience over the season, which will be very useful, I think, compared to Porsche, you know, literally starting from zero, as they say. um, I think they will find it difficult to hit the ground running. We might be looking at Mercedes potentially winning races um, when we get to the European season would be my prediction.
0: So it's it's interesting to think that they might, that you might they might actually win a race it, because obviously we had Jaguar who came in in season three and they said it was like a development. Like they're going to, you know, they might not win now, but it's all about getting ready. And it was potentially getting ready for season five. Obviously they had a really strong season in, in season four. But do you see Mercedes and Porsche coming in, like saying that they need to win, like straight away, they need to come in trying to challenge for a win? Or do you see them trying to build up, their car established themselves as a as a solid team and push on maybe for future seasons
1: well mm. uh, this this is this is a question and um i think uh, when when you look at uh, how mercedes have approached uh, formula one obviously they took uh, they took a few seasons to really get going there i think their first win was rosberg in china in 2012 uh, so yep. their third season um I don't think they'll be looking to wait that long to win in Formula E and um, I think the fact that they have such a high-profile driver as Stoffel Vandoorne, um, well, he's not going to want to mess about into his early 30s with a team that isn't quite competitive. So, well, I, I think there will be pressure from all kinds of places for them to win. That aside, um, I think that operational experience they gained as HWA with the Venturi customer powertrain will serve them well, and we could possibly be looking at. Not necessarily a win on pace, but a sneaky win after a few crashes in one of the European races. And post-race penalties and all of that, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I, but I agree. I think the aim for Mercedes has to be winning races. Uh, I don't think any team in, in FE is racing for top 10 positions. All of them want victories. And same applies to the big manufacturers in Mercedes and Porsche. Um, they are in F E to win. Um, having said that, I don't think they'll be super disappointed uh, if that doesn't happen in the first three races of, of their first season. Uh, I don't think they'd be super disappointed if that only happened in their second year. But at the same time, of course, they'd be happy if that happened by the European rounds uh, in any new season. Um, Yeah, but as I say, I don't think the the goal for Mercedes should be just being part of, of Formula E and racing in Formula E. The goal for them should be to win races in Formula E and um, yeah, whether that, that happens in the first year or not, I don't know, we'll have to wait for that and see. Um, but the goal for them surely has to be winning races.
0: What I think interesting then is will mercedes because of that year they had this hwa they actually had a year in the sport whereas porsche didn't have that year in the sport Stuart, do you think mercedes have got an advantage on porsche already or do you think they're going in pretty much at a level playing field
1: well um, as i said operationally they have got an advantage because uh that that team uh, has worked together mostly uh for an entire season uh, they will obviously make changes at the top of management. We've seen that with um, with Ian James, as I called him, the uh, Marvel Netflix Toto Wolf coming in as uh, as team principal. Um, and but by the way, I'm still waiting for the third um, instalment of that viral video series, Coffee with Toto. Um, it's it's not happened yet. Come on, Mercedes, you know what to do. Release it on Twitter. Um, but. Uh, Yes. To to go back to your point, I think that they have got um, that extra operational experience and that's going to help them a lot. Uh, What they haven't got is any more experience than Porsche of how their car powertrain package actually runs together. Um, They've done plenty of testing, but No more than the um, maximum amount allowed by the FIA and by Formula E, which is not very much at all. So um, I I think we have to wait and wait until they hit the track in Valencia and probably after that to work out what the differential between Porsche and Mercedes on pace is. Um, Porsche have got a tough season ahead of them just because... Um, Yes, they've probably all worked uh, or mostly worked together on the WEC project. And I think they've been very successful in keeping those employees um, with the organization, uh, with the promise of being in Formula E. But it's an entirely new package and uh, they've actually owned the fact that they're starting from zero and made it their slogan. So... I I think they've very cleverly uh, pushed the emphasis onto um, seasons after this one and made us believe this is a transitional year. Mercedes aren't saying any of that, and uh, they seem more confident uh, that they have what could be a winning package.
0: I think we've covered Mercedes for a bit. I think there was obviously we've had quite a few driver moves and driver transfers moving across over the last week. So I'm going to start go to Dragon because Dragon have picked a driver that has actually. Driven a Formula E car quite uh, for quite well, I say he's been driving. He has he's driving in testing for Audi in Nico Müller, but he, obviously he's still a rookie. But he does he is a driver to that Does have a lot of Formula E experience?
2: Absolutely, yeah. He's been key in in developing not only this year's Audi but the two generations of the Audi cars before. Nico has been part of the Audi squad forever. <laughs> And he's been very successful with them in DTM. And, um, yeah, he, he'll do, do well. Um, he saw his opportunity at Dragon. Um, he was always hoping for, yeah, maybe taking the second derby seat alongside Lucas Degrassi. Um But as soon as they re-signed Daniel Apt for the new year, that door closed for him. And um, he decided he didn't want to be... Yeah, playing second fiddle anymore, and uh, decided to get a seat in Formula E, and the only option he had, or one of the only options he had, um, was moving to Dragon. Um, so yeah, I think it's a thing of him really, really wanting to compete in Formula E after being part of the FE bubble for such a long time. Um, and I understand that if you are developing a car and only race it in in testing. Uh, You don't even race it. You just drive it. Um, And as a race driver, you, of course, want to compete against others. And, um, yeah, I I can fully understand him really, really wanting to race it for me now. Um, And that's why I moved to Dragon. Um, Interesting move, um, because by the look of things, remember, Dragon wasn't the best of teams last season, and it sadly doesn't seem like... I'm happy to be convinced of, of... the, of the opposing uh, argument, the thing, but it doesn't look like Dragon will be fantastic this year. so um, was an interesting, an interesting move for him, but as I say, he really wanted to race the Formula E, and that's what he's, what he's doing now.
0: Do you think, actually, you know, there's always this talk about loaning drivers, I'm not saying that maybe Nico Miller's been loaned by Audi to Dragon, but... You know, Stuart, when you think of Daniel Apt, like Daniel Apt over the last two seasons has really been under pressure to sort of have that seat for the following year. And, you know, earlier in the season, he was like, it's not in his hands, but he got the seat at Aldi. Now, obviously, Nico Muller was knocking on the door. So if Nico Muller can go to Dragon and actually put up a good performance and show what he's capable of, will you think that that will put more pressure on Daniel Apt to actually perform... Because maybe Nico Muller could be fast-tracked into that Audi next season.
1: Well, I actually wrote an article about this. Uh, You can find it on medium.com forward (laughs) slash e-motion, getting in that plug. But uh, Daniel Abt is under a lot of pressure this season. Um, He's ironically pushed up that pressure a lot on himself by saying he would retire if he didn't get the deal this season um which was uh, a, an exclusive uh, i think um, plugged by uh, or um, um published by Rob Watts on uh, e-racing magazine and uh, by saying that he's actually um made this into a bit of a make or break year in some ways mm-hmm. um he's yep. he, he's from what i can tell a super open guy and a super decent guy um who uh, the who the team like and uh, or seem to like and but also someone who has this vast hinterland of other interests outside of being a racing driver, which is kind of unusual these days, given how drivers are brought from the cradle into carts, into race cars, and are not given that much chance to develop their personalities outside of the track. But, you know, anyone who watches Daniel's YouTube channel will know he's a really interesting guy um, um, in front of a camera as well. And so... Basically, if he left the sport, there would be many things that he could do and that he would probably enjoy. But he's still a Formula E driver. That's still his uh, his emphasis right now. And I think he's got to look at getting a win this season um, just to stay in the hmm. squad. That's a heck of a lot of pressure on somebody. Nico Muller... Um, is very well-known and very liked by Audi Sports, and I honestly think he was in the box seats for that drive for much of the second half of last season. Um, It looks like somebody right at the top made the final decision to go with Daniel, because um, he gets on well with Lucas, he's a known quantity, and... He's someone who's driven well for them and, well, people forget he was in the Championship conversation up until the last round of races in New York. So he's he's not done badly but the question was, by replacing, by potentially replacing Daniel Apt with Nico Muller, are Mm. you just slotting out one good driver for another good driver or is Nico Muller an outstanding driver in single-seaters in Formula E? Now we know he's an outstanding DTM driver because he's been on it all season and he's been uh, challenging Rene Rast right up until the round, where, the last round where Rene won the championship. Can he transfer that form to Formula E? Well, um, he has done in testing, but uh, racing is a different quantity. Um, by by him joining Dragon. Um, And it doesn't seem to be a straightforward loan arrangement, but I don't think he would have gone to Dragon unless he'd had some sort of unwritten or even written promise that he will be in contention for the Audi drive the following season. Um, Let's look at at the end of this season, but I think he will do very well and I think he could be in contention in season seven for the Audi drive.
0: Could you say that it's baby Tobias the same for Brendan Hartley? Because <laughs> Brendan Hartley, obviously, Porsche driver. I was about to say the um, same. <laughs> you've, got Neil, you've, got Neil, you've got Neil Yarny and Andre Lodtaro. Now, Andre Lager is obviously, he's getting on a bit. Obviously, you know, maybe four rear cars aren't as um, they're still demanding to drive, but maybe not as physically demanding to drive as other sort of race cars. But again, if Brendan was to perform well and maybe Neil or Andre doesn't, you know, you know could Brendan be trying to fast track himself into the Porsche?
2: Maybe. Um, I was about to say the same. Dragon kind of is the new Volkswagen B team now. Um, Audi has drivers in there. Porsche has drivers in there. Um, yeah, it's only a matter of time until we have Lamborghini, for example, having drivers <laughs> in Dragon and preparing them for, for their work entry. I don't know. Um, yeah, of I think it's a different thing with Brendan, though, because he doesn't seem to be or uh, too attached to Porsche anymore. Uh, hmm. Nico is an Audi driver, and through and through, he's an Audi driver, and I don't quite have the same impression with Brendan Hartley. His chance at Porsche Formula E probably was one of his last chances to stay with uh, the team. He's racing the Endurance Series uh, with Toyota, um, and now he's racing with a Privateer team in Formula E. I don't know, Stuart. Have you heard something about him, maybe, or his contract maybe expiring uh, by the end of the year? Because that seems like a possibility.
1: Well, look, I I was um I was initially surprised when Brendan Hartley joined Dragon, uh, because that was, um I think before they announced Lotterer for the Porsche drive or. No, no, it wasn't. No, it was um, just after. It was just after. But um, I, I was pretty sure that uh, when they announced lottery for the Porsche drive, that uh, Formula E would be considered to be a closed book by Brendan, and he would be focusing on the WEC, which anyway, at that stage, had at least two uh, calendar clashes. Um, yeah. w- when he then joined Dragon, it was... Surprising to me, but um, also I thought what an ace driver lineup Dragon is beginning to get, and which they've now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they've got two outstanding peddlers, and they really need to make use of that. Strange, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a difficult one. Uh, he is still officially uh, Porsche's test and reserve driver, and mm-hmm. um, so good. if one of their drivers is indisposed in one of the races, he will um, at least officially come in. Um, the issue is, and you're right on this, Toby, whether uh, actually he's on their radar. I think a lot, again, depends on how quick he can prove to be in an electric race car, which handles totally differently to most of the things he's driven so far in his career. Um, The other thing is, Andre Lotterer is one of the drivers who is on, who's put himself on the list to be in the pool for Extreme E. Now that mm. doesn't that doesn't mean he's going to be driving. That just means he's one of the interested parties, and that teams can approach anyone in the pool and see if they're interested in driving for that team. Uh, that's why, for example, uh, Sebastian Auger is on the list. He's not necessarily. Um, binning off WRC at that point, but he's saying, Look, you know, ask me, I might be interested. Yeah. That's the impression I get anyway. Um, so, Lotterer at that stage will be 39 or 40. Uh, he will be the right age to try something new, and maybe being on that extreme e boat will be the right thing for him at that point.
2: Sort of a thing you do in your midlife crisis.
1: <laughs> Reinvent <laughs>
2: yourself. Now I'm doing rally. Go,
0: go to the, go to the, go to the green and the rainforest and the Arctic Circle.
1: Um, like, Re- reinventing <laughs> yourself like the David Bowie of motorsport. That's right. Yeah.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. Right then, and I suppose then, just to, I suppose, to talk about the last worst kept secret in formulary. E, um, was Antonio Felix da Costa finally reuniting with uh, Mark Preston at Tech Cheetah for next season, joining, obviously, champion John Rick I think this is really interesting, and it could turn out da Costa being probably one of the most significant summer signings because uh, in this whole Formula e-driver transfer yeah. moves. Because, you know, Andre Lott did a good job to um, to Verne and, and, and was a good... Uh, a good opponent you could say I think the Costa is going to go there and I reckon you know two former well Red Bull drivers in a sense or two Red Bull Academy graduates I really think the Costa can take and really push John Eric and maybe cause John Eric to maybe crack a little bit this season what do you think Tobias <sighs>
2: Not sure if you can crack John Eric Vern unless you're Lupus Degrassi or someone of that sort. Of course, Antonio is a fantastic driver, and he is arguably one of the best in f right now. Um, but I, uh, I don't really see the possibility for, for him, sort of sort of shining and being the new star at a cheetah. I hope so, of course. Um, because he's a good driver, but it always seemed to me like Tachita is Team Jeff, just like Virgin has always been Team Bert. Um, and that's totally fine. Um, but it, uh, it, it sort of feels like Antonio is the second driver already at DS, and we've not even entered.
0: Interesting. At,
2: at, and at least to me, it feels like he's the second driver. Um,
0: yeah. For me... For me, him going back to Mark Preston, obviously, uh, that first win in Amla Naguri back in Buenos Aires in Season 1, and yes, maybe the team personnel have changed since the Amla Naguri days, but Mark Preston's still there. So I think that was that's crucial one for the Costa, um, going back to a team where, well, I say a team that was is Obviously, it's changed, but to have the same team principle that you started the sport with, I don't think mark preston will go into into race one in saudi arabia saying okay john eric Vern's my champion and De costa's my you know my number two um i, I really think the costa could and i think for me the only weakness i can see in in verne stewart is if you put him under pressure if you put Vern under pressure especially in qualifying if you might if you say De costa does the lap first or is in an earlier group Depending on how, and he set the time, and Vern doesn't meet it in one race. I think that's where Vern sort of begins to curtail and, and his performances become a bit more inconsistent. Uh, we saw that, you know, some way through the middle of season three, season uh, four time in, in his, his championship push, but ever since he's become champion, obviously last season he was super consistent. But if he can get that pressure, if the Costa can get under his skin a little bit, I think maybe we might see John Eric Verne not be that consistent driver he's become in Formula E. Uh,
1: the, the, the sportsman I would most compare to John Eric Verne is probably Novak Djokovic in that they, they both became the best in their sport, um, in, Djokovic, in Djokovic's case for a time, but still um, uh, in, in, in the middle um, of their careers rather than um, in the early part when most hyped drivers uh, become the best um, I think it's given Jev um, a lot of perspective um, in his life uh, that he wouldn't otherwise have got if he were a Max Verstappen type talent who just came blazing through at age 19 or 20 and um, but it, it it also means that he's got the kind of racecraft that you build up over the course of your career, and the kind of perspective and experience on life that you build up over the course of your career. Um, where where they uh, where to needs support is um, if as happened in most of the first I think four or five races of season five, uh, Jev is caught up in incidents um, of his own making or of other people's making, or he's just not at the races for whatever reason. Um, and I think the concern with Andre Lotterer was that uh, while he'd worked incredibly bloody hard to get um, on the bumper of Jeff, he was not there consistently. Um, there there was always the concern that he might um, fudge up qualifying or that he might get involved in a needless incident with another driver um, in, in the middle of a race. So, um, and I, I, th- I think Andre enjoys um, scrapping away in the middle of the pack and getting a surprise second or third. Um, that's not really what DS to need. They need somebody who's got the outright pace to be, you know, either right on the diffuser of jean eric Verne or in front of him. Um, I don't think there are team orders. Uh, I think if Verne was, say, 30 points ahead with three races to go, they're, so there certainly would be and that would be logical for me but I think Antonio Felix da Costa has not come into the team um, as anything other than an equal number one and it's going to be fascinating okay. to see how he does
2: Yeah, In, in any case, with Jeff and Antonio being the two drivers for Diaz de Chita and them having won the team's title two in two consecutive years um, or no, not the team's title the driver's title and now the reigning uh teams champion for the first time in, in their history. Um we have to have Diaz Tachita on our cards and there's no way um that Tachita won't be a title contender this year with these two drivers.
0: No hundred percent. I think it's theirs to lose. It's well they have to be the favourite coming in. I know it's really difficult saying you know a favourite in Formula E because it's so close and it's so tight and it's so unpredictable. But I think they've established themselves as the team to beat now in Formula E.
2: They, they've come a long way, haven't they? <laughs> I remember when they first joined <laughs> joined FE and mocked up uh, qualifying in, in Morocco, uh, Super Bowl, where Jeff was released by his pit crew and then ended up. At a red pit exit light and couldn't start his his flight. His I remember that. They've come a long, come a long way since that. Um, yeah. So we have to... Yeah. We, I realise Diaz DS Cheetah is going to be, again, one of the teams to beat.
0: So... Moving on then, so that wraps up really all the driver moves that happened right at the end of September when we called it in the last podcast a boring month for Formula E and then Formula E come out and just, you know, tell us that we're wrong again. Um, But then, if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough, we've got a new, well, a new city on the calendar for season six, just jumping in, Jakarta in Indonesia on the June 6th. What did we think? Obviously, it's been a long time coming. There's been a lot of reports about potentially wanting a race in season six, but maybe it might be in season seven, and so forth. But it's coming in season six. So, what's our initial indications?
1: Well, um, I, I try to I try to uh, deliver these things in a compliment sandwich. So, um, J- Jakarta is um, a massive population centre. Uh, it's um, a city that is threatened by climate change in a very serious way. They're looking at uh, actually moving um, government buildings and a lot of businesses away yeah. from Jakarta because um, be- because I believe it's, um, it's-, it's becoming hazardous to actually live and work there. Um, and uh, so it's exactly the sort of place that a uh, form of motorsport with any environmental agenda should be, uh, particularly Formula E. On the other hand, I, I am... Disappointed that there is no December date on the Formula E calendar, and particularly, I'm disappointed at the loss of Marrakesh because that was a race I very much enjoyed watching. It was um, a race that was pretty universally loved by everyone who had to go there, um, except for one driver who apparently said, I'm bored with Tejin. Um, if, if you're bored with <laughs> Tejin, you're bored with life. I'm sorry, um, <laughs> and um, so. Mar- marrakesh losing marrakesh losing that december slot it's a problem for formula e and it's a problem for content creators like you and me i think trying to uh, keep interest up in a sport that has an eight week break between races because after they leave adiria on november 23rd i think it is uh, the next one is uh, the middle of january in santiago yep. um as as other people have pointed out, it's a tricky time to uh, schedule races anyway, December, because uh, the Christmas break makes it logistically hard. But it's, it's a shame that we've lost Marrakesh. Saying that, Jakarta's a great addition. Um, supposedly, they were so enthusiastic about having a race in 2020 that um, they were willing to put um, all kinds of incentives Formula E's way. And um, I think... A form of challenger motorsport like Formula E cannot afford to say no to cities and venues and organisers that, that would absolutely love to have them involved in something because um, you, you've got to keep and bottle that enthusiasm around the sport um, because, you know, we're currently in a boom time for Formula E, but we might not always have those boom times and we have to, we have to really remember who's enthusiastic.
0: I really want to pick up on your point there because it's not the, about the point about the calendar dates and obviously like the massive gap. Because formula have done this before and they've done it quite a number of times, and I suppose you could say Formula are shooting themselves in the foot because it is true. Like you know, when you you've got the race in November, you've got two races, but then you have to wait so long. It's like an eight-week gap, and that's like half of the off season where we've just had a Formula, but and you want to get the season started. But you're not getting the season started, if that makes sense. You're sort of like this one odd race there. And then then all of a sudden it's like the season really should just start in January and have Santiago and just run as a 2019 calendar season rather than just going over these two years. Because one, we don't race much in the previous well, the, the year that we go in, we exit and we go into the new year. So 19 into 20, if that makes more sense. So, I, I don't know, maybe Tobias, why do you think, you know, they still feel the need to have these long gaps?
2: I don't think they they feel the need to have these long gaps. There's just no other way for them uh, to organise the calendar logistically. Um, I, I'm sure Effie would prefer to have a nice kind of bow of suspense <laughs> and have three week breaks between the races and four week breaks maybe. But certainly not kind of building up to Adiria. and then Yeah, having two more months of nothingness. <laughs> and um that'll be difficult. it'll be difficult to keep the suspense up. Um and yeah I'm I'm not sure they really want that.
0: Those two races in Adiria need to be like amazing, so we can talk about them yeah. for eight weeks. Yeah. They need to be top dollar.
2: I don't think Effie wants that as well. Um, it's just a matter of them, um, yeah, not having found a different or a better solution. Remember, we were talking about the Christmas race uh, two days before Christmas Eve um, in in Saudi. Um, that once was a possibility. Um, But of course, all the race drivers and team staff, they have families as well. And two days before Christmas, you certainly don't want to be working in Saudi Arabia um, and then returning just before the time you're supposed or kind of switching off. That's the time of the year you usually switch off and, yeah, take a break for once. And um, so that didn't happen, uh, the Christmas race, Um, and now the first two races move to November, and we'll have to wait for eight weeks. Uh, Not ideal, but I don't think Evie wanted that to happen as well. It did.
0: I suppose we've lived through it once or twice before, we can live through it again. Yep,
2: (laughs) yep, because that happened before, remember? uh, Pretty much seasons two to four.
0: (laughs) Yeah had that big, massive yeah. gap. Right then, so what I want to talk about now is... We were talking about this person before, but Pascal Verline. What I find interesting with Pascal is that, obviously, he came into Formula e and he was one of those rookies who was super quick, straight away, took to the series, like, a house on fire. Like, was able to challenge for wins, as you said, like in Mexico, where he just missed out by, like, 10 feet. So... I think he's definitely a driver that if you sitting in over the years of watching Pascal Verlein, I think you definitely want in your Formula E car because he's going to do something that's quick. But the problem is if he does end up at Mahindra again, and I worry for Mahindra because Mahindra have been doing amazing things and what Dealbag Gill has done with that side has is, has been fantastic. But when you've got Mercedes, Jaguar, Porsche, Audi, Nissan... That's six teams. That's 12 spots straight away with two cars. Mahindra are only a small manufacturer, and obviously they've been in the season from season one. But I don't know if they'll have the budgets to, you know, end up still being able to compete with the likes of Audi, Mercedes, and Porsche in the future. So then drivers like Pascal Verlein might end up being succumbed to the midfield, and obviously, as you said, with like the Europa League, Champions League analogy, he might not be happy with that. So. It might be, for Pascal Tobias, another year where he has to show himself, and just in case a Mercedes driver, a Porsche driver, an Audi driver, a Nissan driver, any one of those drivers in one of those top manufacturers does not perform, that he could be one of those that could jump straight in.
2: Absolutely, yeah, but that applies to, to any driver on, on the F. E. grid. I think if you are racing in Formula E with so many manufacturers in the series, you're always looking to prove yourself, and um that's what i said before we started recording about nico Hulkenberg in, in f1 he hasn't created too many opportunities for himself uh, to find a new seat um and that's what FE drivers have to do um, because in case some manufacturer loses a driver or wishes to replace a driver um, you want to be on their radar and you want to yeah always prove yourself and um just just in case you get the opportunity uh with mercedes or whoever it may be um so that you can immediately start negotiating or just talking friendly uh to your possible future employers um that applies to pascal but that also applies to to any driver in fe you're always looking to prove yourself um in case you may Get the chance to move up to one of the big guns, being maybe to Audi, and BMW. Just like just what uh, Max Günther did, he proved himself in Dragon, uh, and at uh, Dragon, and uh, look where he is now: works driver for BMW.
1: And if I can just uh, clarify something, uh, Jack, you mentioned uh, Mahindra as a small manufacturer. Uh, it's it's a relatively small Formula E team, but it's backed yep. by an absolutely massive manufacturer. Um, now, I, I think the issue here is um, somebody of the quality and experience of Pascal Verlein, um, you know, he, he won the DTM Championship, I, I believe, in his first season. Correct me if I'm wrong, Toby, but. I'm the German, I have to know about DTM. Jesus, Jesus, sorry. <laughs>
2: I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Give me a, Oh, give all me right.
1: A um, I but I I know he was twenty when he won the title. Anyway, but um, <laughs> some so, someone of his obvious quality, um, should should be should be in a position where his car allows him to win races. Uh, the Mahindra fell back over the course of last season, very much like the Venturi, and um, I don't think he or his management will be accepting another season like that. So I don't necessarily think they should either. So it's it's kind of down to Mahindra, um, who are going through troubles themselves, um, if you believe Sam Smith from E Racing 365. Uh that there is the possibility that the um Spanish contractors who they used for much of their engineering team might be moving over to a reconstituted neo team potentially. As I say, this is not my information, this is Sam Smith, so you have to ask him if it's correct, but um, I usually believe what he writes. If, if that's so, then they've got some recruitment to do, and that might set back the performance of the car a little bit as well.
0: I, I think they've done wonders. I think th- they were an underdog story, Mahindra. They were an underdog. And speaking to Dil a lot of times, and he knew that they were the underdog, they knew they wouldn't be able to compete, you know, financially with the likes of audi ds but they wanted to get the best out of their car and maximize their package which you could argue that they've done but what i'm and i think mahindra are worried about this as well and obviously i think it was Campos racing that they, they they teamed up with um earlier in like season two season three um which is obviously spanish and i think they knew that you know season three and season four when they were winning races with uh, Felix Rosenquist and they were enjoying those times because I think they knew those times could quickly come to an end and so I think they were the underdog story in Formula E and I think they were the, the fans team in a sense, like the people's team where I think everyone likes seeing Mahindra do well and 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 see how they do but I just worry for them now because as I said, and Dilbeg has said it himself, like they're worried about financially being able to innovate to come up with powertrain ideas that will match mercedes will match nissan and porsche and ds and jaguar and all these other man- magnificent names that are in this series so i just feel for Mahindra that, that that chance of them winning again is is a long way away or may never happen again
2: i see them winning again and i do you
0: do yeah. good i i hope so but I, you can also see, I see how, you know, why they're also sort of worried that, you know, they might not be able to, or they might not have the money to compete if Formula E, I know there might be some cost cap things and things are being kept similar with, um, you know, engineering and the innovation, but, you know, the more people you can fund into it, which Mercedes might do and, and Porsche might do and, and so forth, Mahindra might not be able to, to keep up.
2: Pascal Wehrlein won in his third year in DTM. He joined DTM in 2013 uh, and was last, 22nd, and last. And uh, then he joined HWA, and in his second year, 2015, that was HWA, he won DTM and then moved on to MANA in F1.
1: Well, thank you, Toby, and uh, I'm I'm sorry for assuming that you would be a DTM. Expert. <laughs> yeah. I, I I just um, I, I just knew from, knew from your tweets that you um, you watched um, most of motorsport, so I thought I'd uh, throw it your way. <laughs> no worries, man.
0: Right then, I think that that pretty much wraps it up for this week. Um, mm. Thank you so much, Stuart, for coming on. I really, your insight has been amazing
1: thank you um it's been a real pleasure to be on and uh, it's actually so nice and uh, kind of a different kind of pressure to be asked questions rather than asking them i've got to try <laughs> this more
0: <laughs> and tobias as ever thank you thank, thank you so having, for
2: having me on once again perfect <laughs> uh,
0: um thank you also to everyone who's listened to the podcast um if you're really enjoying the podcast um we'd love the subscriptions on youtube apple podcasts all the other places where you can get us, Google, Spotify. Um, If you want to support us on Patreon, you can, but there's no obligation. Um, But thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you very soon. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye. Bye-bye.